Hi, this is Melanie, and you're listening to No Good Music. Hearing the news ain't like being there. Nothing's like feeling it when it's happening to you. Don't you know that hearing the news makes it easier? Nothing is real unless it's happening to you. Don't you know that hearing the news ain't like being there? Nothing's like We have a special guest with us today. She's a singer-songwriter, and she was a performer at Woodstock in 1969. She has a new album out called Magic Bus. Let's welcome to No Good Music. Melanie, we have an audience. (laughs) (laughs) Big audience today. Yeah. Hi, Melanie. It's good to meet you virtually. My name is Matt. Hi. And I'm Rob. We've talked. Hi, Matt. (laughs) Right. So um, you're in Tennessee, is that correct? Yes. Right outside Nashville in Hendersonville. Okay. Johnny Cash land. Nice. Yeah, that's ironic. We just interviewed someone recently from Tennessee and right near Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like an hour ago, we our other that's interview probably... was from Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to happen again. Huh. <laughs> There's a lot of musicians here. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't sure. discount it. So, Melanie, what, what age did you start writing songs? That's oh, gosh. Um, four. <laughs> I was about four years old. Oh. Do you remember the first song you wrote? Well, my mom, my mom was a, a jazz singer. She kind of standards like Billie Holiday and mm-hmm. uh, Peggy Lee and you know, big band songs. And uh, but she always liked the um, more the bluesy, bluesy, jazzy versions, not the Patty Page type versions. Mm-hmm. So that's what I grew up with, and. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, I, I wanted to, I guess I was emulating in some way the songs that she was singing, so I would write songs like, not little children's songs, right. <laughs> you know, more like you know, songs like Cry Me a River or something. Oh, really? At the age yeah, of four? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what was so funny, you know. Yeah, that's because, unusual. What did I know? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't have too many torches to um, extinguish by that time, but uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I could imagine, you know. And that was in uh, in New York City, is that right? Yeah, I was born in Queens, and uh, my parents moved to several, you know, Long Island and mm-hmm. New York, and uh, yeah. In fact, um, I was uh, I was uh, given recently uh, an award. For the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Oh wow! And uh, I was there with Billy Joel, and I I got the award. You know, I was inducted mm-hmm. into the Long Island Hall of Fame, and I I was asking people, does it really count? Because I was from <laughs> Queens, <laughs> <laughs> right? Does that really yeah. count as Long Island? <laughs> <laughs> but they said yes. So. I have uh, any of that happen in Stony Brook? I have friends in Stony Brook. Oh, right, right. Stony Brook, I remember. did several shows there. Oh, great, great. We want to go way back and talk about Woodstock. Okay. 
you were 22 and you got to perform at Woodstock in 1969 and you were only one of three solo artists, if I'm correct. The others were John Sebastian and Joe McDonald from Joe McDonald and Country right. Fish. Well, they were like that. Tim Harden, right? Tim Harden and, um, and uh, Country Joe. But didn't he have a band? I thought he had a band. Oh, Country Joe and the Fish, I think it was. Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Not sure. So, so that you can't count that as a solo. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I read um, that he, I think he performed solo at Woodstock. Oh, okay. oh yeah. I, I but you thought, traveled, but you uh, traveled solo. So, I mean, you were performing solo. So, uh, yeah, that's quite an experience. But tell us how it, you got to perform at Woodstock, like how that came about. And you were living also, you were living in England at the time. Or at least when you had to travel to Woodstock. Yeah, I had. Um, my husband was uh, my record producer. Um, it was a you know we met, we fell in love, we got married, we had uh, a hit record, and he had been a producer. He was he had produced um, a sort of a, an underground cult a group called the Balloon Farm. Okay. Very psychedelic. He used a Thurman, which was a new sound, and he was um, already a producer. He was when we met, and I was not a recording artist when we met. So he he produced my records for the rest of my life, not mm -hmm. the rest of my life, the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And then we uh, we were recording something anyway. He had an office in. Uh, 1650 Broadway, and that that was right, I think, diagonally across from the Brill Building, uh, down that side street, and that's where we would record at Allegro Studios underneath, mm -hmm. down in the basement of that building, and in that building was also the people who were uh, developing Woodstock, and it was Mike Lang and Artie Kornfeld and. Uh, R.D. Rip and Buddha Records, they were kind of one incestuous group. Of, mm -hmm. <laughs> they were all connected somehow. Yeah. And Peter had an office in that building and we uh, we met them. You know, I mean, he, he knew them and they said, oh yeah, Melanie should be there. It wasn't, oh, wow. it wasn't I didn't have any idea and neither did Peter how enormous this was mm -hmm. going to be nobody knew right at that right. point it was until um, it happened yeah you know, michael lang and marty kornfeld thought this is a good idea they did it in montreal you know uh what was it out in la and uh, so they thought that's a good idea yeah Monterey. so that's they were going to do one of those you know mm -hmm. and but anyway you know i'm retreating more because it was called an aquarian exposition at the time, and I was picturing more, you know, families with blankets, and mm -hmm. we can have arts and crafts. <laughs> yeah, and very fo folky, uh -huh. family-oriented. <laughs> yeah, I'll get candles and love beads and things, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, 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 I'm off England. I was, uh, I was actually writing a film score in England when this was all in the works and mm -hmm. you know of course before everybody knew everything 
instantly, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I didn't know anything amazing was happening. I mean, we, my husband and I debated whether I should even go back to do it. Hmm. I was right next door to the Rolling Stones, and I was writing a film score with John Cameron, and mm-hmm. this was, you know, big, super stuff, and uh, I didn't, it wasn't, you know, because of a career exactly, but I didn't think it would really matter that much if I was there or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I wasn't a well-known person in the U.S. I had like one one record that was being played on underground radio, uh, Beautiful People. That was it. Beautiful people We share the same back door And it isn't bright We never met before then we may never meet again if I weren't afraid to laugh at me I would run and take all of your hands and I'd gather everyone together for a day and it wasn't even in uh, record stores uh, because the record company at the time didn't kind of get that um who you know that sort of music yeah it was uh it was um, clive davis and it was he was touting uh, michelle lee at the time which was fine you know it's just that mm-hmm. it, he didn't get what i did at yeah. all and yeah. uh he was um you know they were they were much more behind uh heavy male groups you know mm-hmm. that yeah and they were right. promoting that mm-hmm. and then on the other side of that they were promoting you know standard you know girls with bouffant hairdos mm-hmm. and things and, right um, just divided up just yeah one from the one. other so anyway i wasn't known at all in the u.s i hadn't done television or or anything maybe i had done one TV show, I'm not sure, but I, I certainly wasn't a, a, a face that anybody would have known or a presence of any kind. Yeah. Um, again, I was I had what they called a turntable hit because Roscoe, the DJ, in on WNEWFM, just happened to get the record and just started playing it. In fact, wow. when he introduced it the first time, he called me Milani. Uh-huh. Milani. <laughs> Milani. <Yeah. laughs> and we, we know that station. We're, and, uh, uh, we're, in New, we're in New Jersey right now. <laughs> we, we know of WNEW. Yeah, that's cool. Only like a, a fraction of that audience had ever heard that song. But on top of that, they didn't know who Milani was. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I went, I, I decided last minute I would go. And actually, Peter stayed in the recording studio in England. And my mother picked me up, mm-hmm. and my mom took Woodstock. Wow! <laughs> probably one of the only performers whose mother took them to Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. In fact, yeah. probably any of the attendees as well. Um, yeah. I don't think many mm-hmm. took their right. kids to Woodstock. Right, if they had been hippies, but uh, hippies weren't invented yet. You were part of that. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they called me a beatnik, you know, mm-hmm. uh-huh. or in a, when I was going to school 
you know, in high school and grade school, well, not grade school, but mm-hmm. high school, they call me an oddball. Mm-hmm. Even quite have beaten it down. So mm-hmm. I don't think anyone, like you said, knew it would be that big. I don't even think maybe the main performers. No, they thought it'd just be another show. Yeah. It's amazing that you decided to go. Like you said, you had a lot it going is, on really. in England. Mm-hmm. And I read that, and I know I've heard this before. They thought 40,000 people would show up, which is a lot. Yeah. But people started climbing yeah. fences and word of mouth, and it ended up to be over 400,000 people. It was a movement. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was yeah, totally. Yeah. Incredible. I had never, um, of course, I had never, I had never performed for more than 500 people in my yeah. life. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I, when we hit traffic, I mean, me and my mother, right? mm-hmm. we hit some traffic, and I mean, I had to find a phone. You know, there was no cell phones, no mm-hmm. instant phones. Yeah. I had to go find a phone and, and a dime. Whoever I found told me, no, don't go there, go there, go to this other place. And <laughs> so we head off to Bethel, and um, this traffic was unbelievable. And I'm, I, I, at first I thought it, a weekend maybe you know it was a lot of traffic mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, then i i realized as we got a little closer uh and we had to detour and go somewhere else then i finally get to this motel in bethel and it's surrounded by media trucks from one end to the other i had never met a famous person before mm-hmm. and when i got into the lobby fly stone walks by oh you know nice. and um and that's Janis Joplin, and I'm like, oh my god! I had met. That's what I was going to ask you if you uh, if you met any of the main performers. No, that was it. Was it? I mean, oh. Rod Stewart. I didn't even know his name. He was just a part of this group you know, wow. called the yeah. Faces. You oh, know? Yeah. Faces, yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's the person I had met in England. You know, I didn't know. I I wasn't a, an extrovert. That's for sure. In fact, yeah. I was an extreme introvert, wow. and um, it's one—it's a wonder. I mean, I know that there's a lot of performers who tend to be on the introverted side mm-hmm. of an extrovert business, which is funny. I mean, now it's entirely different because extroverts are the only ones you hear about. Right, the introverts yeah. are <laughs> quietly in their room becoming geniuses for their three friends. So having said that, I'm trying to imagine what uh, it would be like. You know, I'm kind of average on the introvert, extrovert scale. But what was it like uh, being 22? What was it like in your brain being on stage? What can you say about that? Well, I, I didn't. I, I mean, it was the whole lead up. You'd have to hear that yeah. I, I, I got, I, I went, uh, somebody recognized uh, me and said, Melanie, Melanie, <laughs> go to the helicopter. And, and I, they're all frantic and crazy. <laughs> crazy and so my mother and I just started going with this guy and we're running and I have the guitar strapped to my back you know <laughs> I didn't even have a case from, yeah, yeah, right. I'm running like the you know, only kids from Juilliard you know had guitar cases mm-hmm. it wasn't you know any self-respecting folk singer or whatever I was would always just carry their guitar on us with a strap I'm running toward the helicopter I'm thinking why am I getting in a helicopter? I've never <laughs> been on a helicopter. I don't want to go on a helicopter. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think they're meant to fly. They're, uh, you know, this whole design of a helicopter mm-hmm. highly suspect. So we're, I'm at the, you know, where you get in and mm-hmm. some guys says, who's she? I, I said, oh, it's my mother. And and they said, oh, sorry, no mothers. <laughs> no mom. No Are you mom. serious? Bye-bye, mom. No, and, and I waved goodbye to my mother at wow. the door of the helicopter. Ugh. And I got in, and I don't, I don't know what I'm in for. You know, I have no idea. I know it must be pretty big because, you know, a lot of uh, chaos and confusion mm-hmm. and kinds of stuff. Well, we we get up there, and we're going toward what I imagine is some Woodstock or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. And, and then uh, the um, I look down, and there's this, this colorful what I thought was some sort of crop or, or fields of some. And, and I, I asked the pilot, what is that? And he said, it's people. Oh, like I was wow. out of my mind. Of course, you know, it's people. It's yeah. like you're in a helicopter and not a car. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, no, I mean, the, the colors down there. He said, it's people. And then he points to this thing ahead that's a, size of a football stadium <laughs> and he got to stay at that point like everything fell <laughs> you know? it, uh, my stomach dropped by my throat every everything like that's the stage <laughs> I'm thinking I can't go on a stage like that I'm just all by myself I play three chords <laughs> and I don't even know what I would I'm gonna sit three chords and, is the uh, truth Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there. <laughs> no, mm. I had a lot of intention in those chords, I'll tell you. Oh, but, yeah. um, you know, that's what I was armed with. I have a percussionist. Anyway, when I descend the field, Richie Havens was in his, like, 50th minute of freedom, which had been <laughs> motherless child. But they kept doing that symbol, you know, to keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it went in from motherless <laughs> child to... Um, a refrain of freedom, freedom. I had known Richie Havens, not close friends or anything, but we, you know, he was in the village. He was like the Pope of Greenwich Village, you know, mm-hmm. Richie Havens. And, um, and I was a, a really an unknown person. I didn't, I didn't uh, hang out at the village. I mean, in the village, I, went there with my mother because she was a jazz singer. She sang at the Blue Note, mm-hmm. and she wow. sang at different jazz places in the village. And, uh, you know, with Sam the Man Taylor and <laughs> and, Bebe, and and she would go to the the jazz places and listen to Sun Ra and all these people. And during that time, sometimes I would, I would always take my guitar, and uh, sometimes... I would go down to the, you know, Washington Square and sing. And uh, I had a really loud voice and uh, attracted a little crowd. And then when I finished the song, I was, again, so shy that I just would run out of there. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. like wait. And I didn't have, you know, people would pass the hat or I didn't do that. I didn't know what I would. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed, you know, so yeah. I would just run out. Sometimes I played in little places like the fat black pussy cat or something, but but mostly it was you know just wherever 
again, it's, it's an odd combination of being a person who's such an introvert, but the, there's a drive to get songs heard, yeah, you know, and yeah, I've right. been writing since I was four years old, so I had mm-hmm. quite a b- backlog of material, and um, at that time, I would be singing a song I wrote called Mama Mama. Anyway, my mom would, you know, then we'd go back to New Jersey. It's not mm-hmm. like I hung out in the village and knew a lot of people. So when Richie was in his 50th minute of freedom, freedom, <laughs> I figured <laughs> when I landed, I'm going to be ushered to the stage, right? I, mm-hmm. I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I figured that's what the hurry was you know and right. that's probably why they had him going on and on because i wasn't there yet yeah i mean i thought <laughs> i really thought these you know there was much more organization <laughs> than there actually was yeah anyway i got down and they ushered me to a little tent with a dirt floor they didn't yeah. even give me um you know an artist's backstage pass i i had nothing <laughs> just me and my guitar and not even a bottle of water because they didn't sell water yet. Yeah. This was before they sold water. Yes. <laughs> what a con. Uh, yeah, right, right. Before water was ever sold, they, uh, you know, and I'm in this tent and across from me, about 10, 12 feet away, is the tent that says Tim Harden. I, I always loved his song, If I Were a Carpenter. In mm-hmm. fact, I sang it. And but I was so shy, I never, you know, went over and said, Hey, Tim, mm-hmm. I sing your song. I, you know, it wasn't like that. And I figured any minute somebody's going to come and get me. And someone did come. They said, Okay, you're on next. And then I heard somebody else <laughs> singing and playing, and I knew it wasn't me. Uh, so it wasn't me. And so this went on all day. Okay, oh, wow. you're on next. You know, because I was like the easy person to throw up on stage, you know, right, just right. Yeah, yeah. put her up there, cause, you know, in between setting up for, you know, a big group or something, they could get me. But and this went on all day and then night fell and it started to rain. And I felt I mean, I prayed <laughs> that I could. <laughs> would be somehow not have to do this. I, I was thinking, <laughs> what can I do uh-huh. to get out of it? No, really. I mean, mm-hmm. this was more than terror. Or, and I was or just a myself. little stage fright. <laughs> yeah, that was just, like, just that was like a, out of a horror movie, probably, for you. you know? Yeah, go on. It was like a horror movie. Nobody could understand. In fact, it, it always sort of amuses me when people say, oh, what was it like hanging out with Jimi Hendrix? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, really? <laughs> and in fact, my one cuddly Woodstock moment was um, I was like a super fan of Joan Baez. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point late in the day, I had developed this really deep bronchial nervous cough Uh and just a few feet away was this huge tent and i I never gave it much thought but that must have been where the the bigger stars were set up with probably Mm -hmm. amenities and privacy and maybe even a porto potty i don't know (laughs) whatever they had they had in there i never ventured to go inside um but 
Joan Baez must have heard me coughing because a, a girl, little beautific flower child type, came in and said, Joan, Joan Baez? Mm -hmm. said, yeah, Joan Baez. She heard you coughing from the, you know, when she walked by yeah. it. And um, <laughs> so she sent over tea and lemon and honey oh, wow. for me. I know. Oh, that's special. That's that is so special. That was that was my Woodstock moment. You know? <laughs> and you and you that had the good. you had the strength and power. You mustered that strength and power to get up on stage and to perform. Well, right before again, I thought I had a reprieve mm -hmm. because it started to rain, and somewhere in the back of my mind, I remembered was it wavy gravy or something <laughs> was making an announcement about his collective was passing out candles and we should mm -hmm. keep the candle alight blah, blah 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 and again i'm i'm thinking oh everybody's gonna go home it's raining they're gonna mm -hmm. go home and i can go back to life as it was and i will be okay mm -hmm. and i will be fine just there in my reverie <laughs> um someone said you're on next now yeah, what yeah. happened is the incredible string band was scheduled to go on that night at that particular slot and you know they're smarter about electricity than me <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think of that part they, they refused to go on so they they didn't go on yeah i was i was the next uh, best choice and there, there are lots of theories that if they had performed at Woodstock when I did, when they were supposed to, their career would have taken a totally different turn. Right. And that's likely true. But um, it, it's really the, the odd thing is that they were my favorite group. They, <laughs> they had been my favorite group. And later on in life, when I opened um, Neighborhood Records, which was, by the way, the first independent artist owned record label in America. The only other artists who ever opened a record label were the Beatles. Wow. And that was in the UK. Anyway, I, I you know, thought, I got to get out of here. I got to get, and I was so terrified. I mean, I really thought I was going to my certain doom, you know, <laughs> that people yeah. were going to start throwing things at me. I don't know. You know I yeah. just, I don't know what I thought. I thought I was going to mm -hmm. die. So, and I actually had an out-of-body experience, and I was not stoned or drugged or in any way yeah. altered because I, I was kind of a, a purist vegetarian at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went up, and as I'm walking that plank, I left my body. I wasn't there anymore. <laughs> I could everything went quiet. I could watch myself walk on the stage. And I always thought that part of maybe how I resonated with people there had something to do with, you know, 500,000 people got to see me have this out-of-body experience and return. Mm -hmm. I came back to myself and was singing. And uh, that, was, that was that. I sang a whole set. In fact, I sang a song that no one had ever heard, or no one, no one, really no one. I had written, just written a song called Birthday of the Sun, and now born-again hippies come to my show, and they request for a Birthday of the Sun because 
it was on Woodstock too. Mm-hmm. And um, so they've heard this song and they um, still request it. And I was like, why would you want to hear that? And I never sing that song. You mm-hmm. know, I only sang it at Woodstock. Yeah. Wow. Because it, 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 it was raining and I thought it was a good idea. came back from the out-of-body experience while you were singing then you were singing and you kind of came back to your own consciousness is that right right i was there i was singing mm-hmm. but um it was such a profound experience because that had never happened to me before and uh it has happened to me since but you know it's it's a reaffirmation that uh you know i'm not just a body the there's mm-hmm. a part of us that I don't know. I guess some people call it, and where the body is like an energy container, you know, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and right. that we well within, you know. And um, so I, I think that was reaffirmed in in, in a very big way yeah. at Woodstock. So right, I always thought might have had something to do with how well I resonated with the people. I mean, I was so vulnerable. I think that people have an instinct for vulnerable with right. children, very, very vulnerable. Right. I and was, this place, was, this place full of people was full of peace and love. And you, if you try to do it again, there would be violence. There would be some bad things happening. There was so much love there uh, at the site. This is just, you know, my, my thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I I think um, a lot of it is to do with, I mean, there's so much psychiatric meddling now, mm-hmm. you know, with the different drugs that pharmaceuticals have successfully promoted mm-hmm. over um, these years. To normalize people, I mean, yeah. Everybody's something. Everybody's on something. Everybody's everything, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's on. Uh, mm-hmm. So that kind of meddling has produced different kinds of rage and violence and mm-hmm. suicidal tendencies and a behavior that's not really people. Mm-hmm. It's not because people are really nice. I mean, <laughs> mostly, mm-hmm. mostly people when they're meddled with seriously like that. Uh, and I guess you know it came from the motivation of you know you know or we don't, don't want people to feel. Things you know, people shouldn't have to feel uh, pain. Right. Or, and you know, I mean, I think that you need to sort of feel things. Mm-hmm. Feeling is where it all comes from, and then you feel this way if you do that, and and if you don't do it, you feel better. So that's how you learn. You know, right, mm-hmm. right. Don't touch the fire. <laughs> You'll get you burned. Don't want to get burned. 
to talk about brand new key i'm sure I you talked you about never yeah <laughs> i remember this song well it was in the 70s i was probably six or seven my mom listened to the radio all the time and mm-hmm. i'm sure they played it and i still love this song i mean it's it's a very happy for me it's a very pleasant song and now this song went to number one on the Billboard 100 singles chart. What's interesting is, and I know you've talked about it before, but maybe you can tell our listeners, is this song was banned on some radio stations in the U.S. Yeah, well, it's incredible because they thought it was a drug song, a key having to do with a short for Kilo. Oh, really? (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Whatever it was. They um, it, it, there was also these um, this sort of semi phenomena of key swap, wife swapping uh-huh. these key clubs, <laughs> and they were like, I don't know, I don't even know what they're talking about, but like, you know, they'd leave a key, and mm-hmm. that meant that you know, and you know, people get bored, they do funny yeah. things, you know. But isn't it amazing and, that like the new songs that are out in the last ten years or more? What they're playing, I don't know, if, you know, on the radio. But the song, and there's no in, there's no innuendo or anything. In descriptions that I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see. Yeah, and this song is so all. innocent in the lyrics that they picked it apart. They were telling people what it was about, and oh, the sexual innuendos yeah. and everything. It was the time. When you know you play a Beatles record backwards and it says yeah. Paul is dead, yeah, <laughs> they were all. I remember the backward around. backward masking they called it. Oh right, right. Yeah. You know who knows? I know. No, it's the crazy, crazy stuff. Crazier than that has happened. Mm-hmm. How did this song come come about? You wrote it. It didn't take you that long to write it, so it must have been maybe in like just came to you. Tell us a little bit yeah, about it. Was, um, well, I, I don't know if you know, but I was um, a vegetarian mm-hmm. and I was doing, I wasn't doing well. I was doing poorly as a vegetarian health wise. I kept getting sick and mm-hmm. wondering what's going on because this is the perfect diet and we're mm-hmm. all supposed to be vegetarian. Well, but during this whole period of time, I um, investigated different people who, you know, promoted uh, healthful ways of living so that you didn't get sick. So I found Dr. Bernard Jensen, and he he studied iridology, and he himself was a vegetarian, but he didn't promote it for everybody. So, mm-hmm. you know, there were, he definitely believed your different blood type uh, required different things, you know, not one size fits all. Yeah. yeah. So he, um, I went out to his 
place because I was supposed to do in a few months time, I was supposed to do uh, Carnegie Hall, which mm-hmm. was really big. And, yeah. you know, so I and I kept getting sick and I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, so I went out to his health ranch and he put me on a cleanse. And how we did this was a fast on uh-huh. nothing but distilled water. Mm-hmm. And um, and, you know, he said, you'll know when you're, you know, finished with this because you're, you'll, something will alert you mm-hmm. as to, uh, you know, when to break the fast. Well, I must have really needed this fast because nothing was alerting me. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was 27 days. 26 27 weeks? 27 days on. Oh, oh, okay. But the days, days on mm-hmm. distilled water. And uh, amazing things happen when you fast um, mm-hmm. that long. But, uh, you know, I I didn't dream that I would ever be a meat eater again. I went, uh, broke the fast the way he told me. He did suggest that I eat meat a couple of times a week because that's the sort of person I was, very um, prone to needing being grounded mm-hmm. a little bit. And meat is one of the forces that helps ground people so he suggested i do that i was horrified and he said well but you'll know your your perfect diet because you're so cleansed and so in tune and so you know what you know so i you know so i went back home i had broken the fast very gradually on partially grated carrot you know and cooked carrot and cooked zucchini and a little bit of this and a little bit tiny, tiny bits, because it's a shock, you know, when you first put food in your mouth, your insides turn inside out. So I went home and I was on my way. I loved going to flea markets. I don't know if you know English Town, New Jersey. Yeah, They're I've heard of that. I don't think I've been there. Huge flea market. But it started out people really selling their old junk. Mm-hmm. You know, and <laughs> I think they still do. Yeah, it's still there. No, I think it's mostly <laughs> stuff that they buy to sell. Oh, okay. You know, this was days of people just, you know, cleaning out their basements and mm-hmm. selling their old 1950s GE lamp or something, yeah. you know, <laughs> some, you know, uh, junk, just, you know, all kinds of, but antique dealers just did go at four in the morning while it was still dark and a flashlight. <laughs> and I, I would, I would pretend I was an antique dealer and say, what's your dealer's price, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, just come home with a big old bag of stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm not a hoarder, but I'm a collector. Yeah. And I like to have like yeah. things with like, I was on my way home and I, I was hungry. And we were passing a McDonald's and I smelled this aroma that mm-hmm. just brought me back to some other time. You know, if it was the rancid oil or whatever, <laughs> but we were passing the, and I said, stop. So we, we stopped and um, I always travel with a little guitar, you know, it's called a hops guitar. And uh, so I had this with me. We went in, uh, we got the, the whole works, you know, the the fiberglass milkshake, the hamburger, and the <laughs> fries. And I no sooner finished my last bite of burger, and that song was in my head. Wow. 
and I, I, I swear that song came out of that experience. Now you figure I hadn't eaten anything for 27 days except mm-hmm. partially cooked grated zucchini. zucchini. Here I am. And, and no wonder I didn't get ghastly ill or, or yeah, anything. Yeah. I just finished my last bite of burger and I, that song was in my head and I started playing it in the car going home. And when I got home, I started playing it on the edge. I was sitting at the edge of my bed and Peter said, what's that? Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I don't know. It's some silly thing I started to write. He said, no, do that that part again, you know. (laughs) I got a brand. And I said, Uh oh, and I could see in his eyes, you know. He said, Melanie, that's a hit. And I went, no. <laughs> no, 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 no! Not Peter, this. That's a hit. I'm, Not this. I'm Did the music and the and the words come together? My life. Did it all come together at the same time? Yes. Wow. All came I, together. I have to tell you, when I when I first heard the song, like I said, I was probably I don't know, six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. I didn't know uh-huh. what you looked like. I didn't know your age, but I imagined it was. A girl, maybe not like eight, but maybe like 12, 13. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. I imagine it was a, a girl <laughs> singing that. And maybe because of the lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I, Aww. I, you, it's a song you can listen to over and over. I mean, if I heard it, it's a song you're not going to. I wouldn't turn the channel on the radio, you know, if, if yeah. it came on the radio. And, and at the same time, so I'm I'm thinking of that song, and I'm thinking it wouldn't have such an in-depth story behind it, the 27 days of fasting, the, the finding, the, the, the desiring <laughs> meat to stay grounded, and, and then writing it, uh, having it come to you. That's, that, I, w- I didn't see that coming. Right. It's amazing, you know. It's like, <laughs> there's no, I believe me, I've tried eating hamburgers again. Yeah. <laughs> Because maybe there's something in the McDonald's burgers that you're good for songwriting. I think it was just that. And something about the aroma Mm -hmm. just brought me back to when I was little and my dad holding the training wheels. And you hear his voice getting further and further away. And and you see, you're holding on, right, Dad? You're holding on. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And his voice is, you know, 20 feet away you know he isn't then you fall <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and my i lost my front tooth my new front tooth chipped because i was roller skating down suicide hill in mm-hmm. astoria and um i fell and you know this it just all came back to me and i was mm-hmm. i was thinking that when i wrote it wow. i certainly didn't yeah. think Double entendre. I didn't think, you know, I'm going to be so clever and be, be sexual innuendos everywhere. Right. Or yeah. Anything. yeah. <laughs> like I said, as a, as a kid, it was, it was two young kids, mm-hmm. like first, maybe first love. That's, that's what it, yeah. that's what I thought. But yeah. yeah. And about what, about what year, mm-hmm. and about what year was this? It was 71. 71. Uh, 72. You'd be better at guessing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Rob just said 1971, 1972. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the end yeah. of 71, 72. Mm-hmm. It was on the went to number one. So, wow. yeah. 
because um, I shortly after that I had a baby, so I know that okay. because I was mm-hmm. in the hospital and Allison Steele was um, was announcing it, you know, that I had a, a baby, and I was pretty close to that record being a hit. Right. But that was seventy three. So, mm-hmm. so right. I, don't, I guess you know it really by the time it all came out. Anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's I used to. Really, because it just, again, again, you know, it was sort of like Rolling Stone said, ha ha, we knew she was just a silly girl. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and um, and I, I was like, I, I spent years sort of being a reactionary against that song. I mean, you know, so I would I would say sometimes it, it brought me from doing venues that hold a couple of thousand people or or less yeah. to stadiums. Yeah. You know, now I'm singing for, you know, fifty thousand people and mm-hmm. it was a whole new experience. And the you know, they wanted to hear an hour and a half of brand new key. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a song that propelled you the, farther, but mm-hmm. not necessarily a song that you loved or loved to perform. Yeah. I think of Tom Jones with What's New Pussycat. Right. He, he does that song, but I know he does not like doing that. Aw. And, and, you know, Ricky from, from that show, uh, what was his name? Ricky. You know, he, he wrote Garden Party. Oh, Ricky you Nelson. Know, he, Ricky Nelson, of course. Yeah. He, uh, you know, had this, well, I was having my, you know, Ricky Nelson moment, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, Sometimes, as a reactionary, I would get up on stage and sing a whole set, and not do the song. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Garden Party is about the fans wanting you to do your certain songs that he no longer wanted to do anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But yeah, but it wasn't even that I didn't want to do it. It was yeah. just there was such a a misconception about who I was. You know, like yeah, right. from after that song, even though I had several hits before that song lay down candles in the rain and mm-hmm. look what they've done to my song to my song look what they've done to my brain Ma. look what they've done to my brain well they picked it like a chicken bone and I think I'm half insane Ma, look what they done to my soul I wish I could find a good book to live in wish I could find a good book but even so they called me a one hit wonder yeah because mm-hmm. That's the one that they knew. So I again, I became a bit of a reactionary. But now, I mean, I listen to that song and I think that's incredible because it's still, I mean, other than the, the way it was recorded, you know, with the technology of that time, mm-hmm. but but it was an amazingly timeless song. Yeah. Oh yeah, and production because Peter was very very creative and you know he used. Just Sugar packets to do some of the percussion. Sugar packets? 
Yeah, shaking a little sugar packet. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have to listen to it more closely now. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, we had three strange elements. We had Roger Kellaway, who was the arranger, and he was um, very avant-garde into John Cage, and he played the prepared piano in this particular recording. And we had the um, the guys who sang Lavender Blue Dilly Dilly doing uh, mm-hmm. the background vocal, which went hum, ha, ha, all through, <laughs> all through the song. I said, Peter, of course, hum, ha, ha might have been the clincher as far as getting it banned. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's uh, great. That is so funny. So speaking of technology and such, Melanie, I was wondering, uh, what are your thoughts? What are some of the the positive developments and what are some of the ones that you maybe see as negative throughout your however many decades of, of being in the music industry? Just just want to pick your brain there. What, what's your thoughts on what are some negative and, and some positive things and what's happening with the music industry? What's happening with music? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have lots of thoughts, but we won't go to the darkest places. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll uh, focus on technology is great. And in the hands of creative people who want to take the time to make the very best product they can, mm-hmm. it's amazing, amazing technology. I mean, if Peter had the technology that we have now, God knows what kind of records we would have made, mm-hmm. but it would have certainly wouldn't have taken as long. You know, yeah. it was yeah. just an amazing time saver. But in the hands of somebody who just wants to be famous for the sake of, of being famous. Mm-hmm. It, it's a horrible because, you know, well, you we're in the era of one note songs, mm-hmm. you know, songs that don't even bother to deviate. <laughs> yeah. Right. One note. And it really <laughs> does is, you know, I hear, you know, older people saying they want to be cool and they want to, you know, be with it and everything. Well, you know, we had our music and now the kids have their music. Well, not really, because Mm -hmm. this is shoved down their throat. Mm -hmm. This isn't, and it's highly scientific. You know, you're going to hear, you're going to hear the song before it's ever released. You're going to hear the name of the person before Mm -hmm. it's released. And you're going to buy that record. You (laughs) You are going to buy that record. And the technology of selling is also at the state of stage of you know ridiculous scientific mind meddling point where uh, I remember there was an ad campaign for blondes have more fun. Mm-hmm. This was I don't know, what was that the sixties early sixties blondes have more fun, mm-hmm. and it was a they were talking about this new way of they use psychiatrists and psychologists in marketing things. But now we are way beyond even people don't even know they're being brainwashed. They don't even right. know. And yeah. you know that we're entering a, a time of artificial intelligence in the last oh, uh, year. And uh, that, that has terrible. made it so so that now even video can't be believed. If I would videotape, if I'd show you a videotape of something, now that might yeah. not be true. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, where so many people believe that it is that, mm-hmm. you know, the powers that be who are promoting 
mm-hmm. darker things use that to their advantage. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, no, it's incredible. We don't really, I, uh, my solution is to not <laughs> just watch as little mainstream yeah. media, TV, and mm-hmm. radio. I mean, the radio is horrible because, I mean, you'll go to a, a place that's supposed to be like the pool place and they're playing, I don't know, some alternative one mm-hmm. note thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and I have to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know that we well, know we, that so-called yeah. music. I mean, it's we kind of, it's kind of music, but it's not even really music. So no, it, it's yeah. not. And it's not really the choice of kids. I mean, so many kids are, you know, looking to, to hear some music because, Music is part of our existence mm-hmm. as a culture, you know, and when when it gets to this stage, you sort of wonder if it's a sign, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, no, I think enough, I, I mean, I have great hope for the younger people because they have to wake up, you know, mm-hmm. and they are, they're waking up. I like when they, um, you know, with a TV show, like Stranger Things, where they use kate bush's song running up that hill and it opened up you know people that never even heard of kate bush Mm -hmm. so if that's one way in a good way of right right. getting them to maybe explore beyond kate bush but like maybe i should look back yeah in music history and Mm -hmm. see check out some older albums (laughs) yeah well that's what people are doing you know and that's i mean that's keeping that's keeping me alive, you know, uh, even archive things like the magic bus, you know, is yeah. keeping me alive and mm-hmm. relevant. I mean, yeah. I listened to some of the songs. They were, they were almost prophetic, you know, yeah. as um, <laughs> the lyrics go. It's pretty incredible, like hearing the news. I don't know if you got to hear that one. It's, it's uh, the lyrics are like, they they could have been written now. Of oh, the news, amazing. What are, what are they called? Hearing the news. Hearing the news. Okay. Hearing it was. It's on the Magic Bus CD. Oh, and, okay. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like amazing how I sort of. I think I was really channeling. I mean, it's a a cliche word, you know, but mm-hmm. in a in in reality, that's kind of I think what a lot of songwriters do is that they they sort of get into this zone where they're in touch with things you know right right so, i want to i want to offer you some hope uh we have interviewed uh several people in their 80s and then we switched uh rob got a connection with a young lady 14 years old singer songwriter guitarist a uh, 14 years old in florida francesca uh, Tarantino. Francesca Tarantino. We interviewed her, and here she is, open to many types of music, playing singer-songwriter, rock, and uh, playing out. She plays out uh, two or three weekends a, a month in these places, these restaurants and stuff. It's amazing. So even at age 14, she's doing it, and she's doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, there, there are people doing it, but unfortunately, they're not the people that are being promoted. Yeah. Um, no, I understand. Yeah. yeah, and we promoted her. I do. I do. I do have a lot of um, hope for people creating, and mm-hmm. they're always asking me, "What do you suggest?" You know, because well, the music industry right now is so controlled. 
you know, most people feel they have to do what they're being told to do. Yeah. And, and to, you know, emulate the last big hit record and, and try to try to do that. But uh, that's the last thing you should do. Yeah. You need mm-hmm. to really and truly follow your artistic voice. You know, the voice that tells you what's good. Mm-hmm. And if you're in it just to be famous, well, go, you know, strip down and be famous. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Maybe uh, ride a wrecking but, uh, ball or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I got to meet Miley. Uh, yeah, we were going to we, we ask did you about that. Things, Tell us and, about um, it. It was right after she, uh, she was doing this, um, sort of these backyard sessions mm-hmm. before the latest mm-hmm. a series of backyard sessions where she was kind of really kind of oatmeal granola cookie. You know what I mean? It was, mm-hmm. she was getting all into her real self and everything. Yeah, and then right. somebody must've gotten a hold of her, you know, at the time, I think it was, um, was it Larry reindeer or something? <laughs> one of her, one of her managers was okay. a, had something to do with a reindeer and show what it was. <laughs> anyway, um, somebody got a hold of her, you know, and said, "This is a great idea." The song was written by not one, not five people, but six people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I, I can only really imagine how can six people write a song, mm-hmm. you know? But it was, and she did it, and it was right about that time. Uh, she called me. And asked if I wanted to do these backyard sessions. And it was right as Wrecking Ball had come out. The first thing mm-hmm. that came out of my mouth, well, what would I wear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. But, um, she's a really talented person. Uh, I think she's questing for her authentic self and probably at war with the powers that be in the music industry and herself, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and it was a phase, you know, some people go through that phase. phase so. Actually. Yeah. People don't like phases yeah. in yeah. the music industry. They like you to stick to your brand. <laughs> stay, you the same, stay the same, stay the same. Stay the same. And the problem is when you are that in that phase, like Miley Cyrus was being half naked and mm-hmm. twerking, people don't forget that. And they don't know that her last album, which I listened to because I like Miley, is yeah. a great album. But people just, oh, I'll, I don't like Miley Cyrus because they only think of what she did, you know, mm-hmm. years ago. Right. They don't realize right. that she's matured a little bit musically. and mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody wants to be judged by how they were years ago. I don't want that for myself right now. Yeah. I do. <laughs> I do. Oh, you're so funny. It's amazing. I, I, I just counted myself. So I was so hard on myself. You cannot imagine. I thought I was ugly and funny looking, and I thought I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I was very hard on myself. Yeah. Again, you know, I, I, I was against and re- a reactionary against brand new key but uh then i came around and i'm thinking what was i crazy it was, it's a great song you know it's, mm-hmm. it's cute and and 
and the story for vegetarians and <laughs> and and those who love good health it's an amazing story too the smell of meat eating it being grounded having it it's just it's amazing it's amazing yeah i never thought that would be the story yeah, <laughs> yeah actually miley was the vegetarian i don't know if she still is, but mm -hmm. she asked me about being a vegetarian and i said well you know for some people it's good but it wasn't good for me i kept getting yeah. sick yeah so yeah. And, and it does depend on your blood type. And I, I think she's a blood type O, I forgot. But mm -hmm. blood type O people shouldn't be vegetarians. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not saying you should see a pound steak every night or something, yeah, but yeah. mostly keep away from and bad stuff. So, Melanie, yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting you at Chiller Theater Autograph Show oh. in oh. April. <laughs> you signed yeah. uh, Gather Me album that i have for our listeners before we let you go um are there any appearances you're making any shows coming up anything like that uh, my whole life has gotten so uh changed since mm -hmm. the lockdown i know okay. a lot of people right back to doing yeah. exactly what they always do. i am not i didn't get vaccinated it was a, a horrible oh, okay. i lost friends of not from covid from mm -hmm. from uh you know, just a, a kind of relentless, mm -hmm. you know, anger a kind yeah, of yeah. That, that that was being promoted. You know, mm -hmm. oh, you're a super spreader, and you're this yeah. and that. I yeah. know, you know, I'm I like I eat organic. <laughs> no, right. I don't know about. Matt and I got vaccinated. I have nothing against people that didn't. I, you know, your choice, and mm -hmm. that that's sad that you lost that's friends. Right. You know, became a political. Oh yeah, politics mm -hmm. is. Divided totally. a lot of people. Anyway, what I do now is I've done a lot of online shows. I did okay. do a tour in the Netherlands, and it just traveling is so much harder now. Yeah, you know, yeah. just everything—the rigmarole of what they put people through. So anyway, I'm, I'm I might do another tour. I might not, but some people have been asking me to go to the West Coast and do some stuff and. I don't know. Yeah. I may or may not. But, you, need, um, you need to do a magic really, bus tour. You know, <laughs> you get get an old Volkswagen bus. Yeah, you and Bo in the Volkswagen yeah. bus. But <laughs> if you look at our banners, in fact, please do, you know, share if that's a proper social media etiquette. Mm -hmm. I think someone told me you can't ask people to share, but I'm asking anyway. Um, you know, anything that you you can do to get the word out that I'm still here. I'm mm -hmm. still here. You know, well, Chris Novoselic of the um, Nirvana said, mm -hmm. I've been airbrushed out of history. And mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think that is so true. No, but, well, um, so I'll share your CD. Our listeners need to check out Magic Bus. Tell us a little bit more about Magic Bus. It was an interview and a, um, a concert at, all at once. I kind of dropped in on um, uh, Curtis Schwartz, who was a mm -hmm. DJ in Miami. And in 1972. Was, uh, to promote, I guess, a show. And my husband was in the control room, probably holding up a sign saying, Melanie, promote the show, which was <laughs> something I never did. <laughs> it was just, I always thought that was somebody else's job. There I was, you know, uh, with Curtis Schwartz. And at the time, there was a, a sort of an agenda, like I said, the the president of CBS, Clive Davis, at the time, and it was a big changeover when all of a sudden 
instead of musical people running the music business, it became lawyers running the music business. And he was like one of the first very visible lawyers who was at the head of CBS, which mm-hmm. is now Sony. But at that point, he didn't get me. And there, there were, you know, there were multitudes of people who didn't get me, but there were, there was a whole movement of people who did. I always figured like Rolling Stone and underground music papers and stuff were like my people, you know, yeah. <laughs> these are my people. But the problem was that that wasn't, it, 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 that wasn't the agenda. I wasn't part of it. And, and so they, they would sort of make way less of me. And if they referred to me at all, in fact, I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable that I had as many hits as I had and I was never on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, anyway, they didn't, they weren't promoting me, but the, the, the funny thing is now all these years later, my biggest uh, following, I suppose is, well, again, born again, hippies, kids who just discovered something. Mm-hmm. Then people, the younger brothers and sisters or the children of the people who thought, Melanie's just not cool enough because that's mm. kind of how they were promoting me. Like I'm just not cool enough. Uh-huh. So, and how I got to talking about that is Curtis Schwartz fell into the category of she's just not cool enough. Except the magical thing about this recording is that I changed his mind. You know, it was. I listened I was to like, the. Um... I listened to the whole, you know, album. I was sitting outside a couple of weeks ago in nice weather and just listened to the whole thing. I don't uh-huh. know Curtis Schwartz. I've never heard him before. But he sound he to me, first impression is he sounded a little pompous to me. Yeah, well, that was kind of he was of the um, Dick Cavett ilk, mm-hmm. more in the he wanted to place himself in the intelligentsia yeah. academia. I know everything. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And Melanie was just not it. So I think he discounted me. But again, by the end of the interview, I had changed his mind. And that's <laughs> the magical reason why I'm so happy my son got to restore it and it's mm-hmm. out there and people are really loving it. And I'm saying thank you for checking it out and having me on. Now, you're almost sold out of the CD. Are you going to make any more? Well, we're talking about it now. Uh, we're, you know, we've still got some, but we are um, almost out. But, you know, yeah. don't don't give up. My son uh, and I are probably going to do a Magic Bus online show. Okay. From Magic, Magic Bus. And I do have a Patreon. Any way that you can support me in what mm-hmm. we do in our work and... Uh, I'm still writing. I have a whole slew of songs that are pretty humorous, okay. most of them. You know, I'm still writing. I never stopped writing. Okay. That's one good. thing that happens as you That's get older. Yeah. It's not one of those things that goes away. Yeah. So, yeah, here I am. Excellent. Yep. Support me on Patreon and anywhere yeah. you can share links. That would be wonderful. Okay. All right. Great interview. Thank you so much, right. Melanie. This is Matt. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you, Matt. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. We were so close there was-
You've been listening to No Good Music. Today's interview was produced and edited by Rob J. Lilly and recorded via Zoom at the Did You Say? Seven studios in Washington, New Jersey. You can find No Good Music on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Pandora, and almost anywhere you listen to podcasts. This song's hearing the news, Beautiful People, Birthday of the Sun, Brand New Key, Look What They've Done to My Song, Ma, and Lay Down Candles in the Rain. Use with permission from Melanie.